The reading today is taken from Matthew chapter 2, and it's verses 1 to 12. Matthew 2, 1 to 12. And it can be found on page 966 of the Church Bible. The Magi visit the Messiah. <clears throat> After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who had been born, King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I may too go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Thank you, Jennifer. Well, Happy New Year, everybody. Hope it's been a good start to the year for you. On the 19th of December last year, 2019, the Daily Telegraph reported this, and I quote, Forget Brexit. The one thing guaranteed to elicit the, elicit the strongest opinion during the first week of January is the debate over which day to take down your Christmas tree and decorations. Is it Sunday the 5th of January or Monday the 6th of January? And what happens if you leave them up for a bit longer? Are you really struck down with bad luck for the rest of the year as the superstition goes? End quote. Well, we're not worried about silly superstitions, are we? But there is a degree of uh, confusion. I've noticed the Christmas tree is gone, by the way, so it's obviously <laughs> the answer is there. Um, <clears throat> uh, Twelfth Night is a tradition that is celebrated in some branches of, of, uh, of the Christian faith, of Christianity, and uh, marking the beginning of Epiphany. Now, this is where the confusion is. If you count 12 days from and including the 25th of December, you arrive at the 5th of January, which is today. And the Church of England, which we are part of, uh, for the Church of England, this day is the 12th night. So today, 
Uh, the day of Epiphany, however, is the 6th of January, which is tomorrow, the day when uh, we remember the three wise men, etc. But not everybody agrees with that. Uh, because many other Christian groups and churches count the 12 days of Christmas as starting after Christmas Day, which makes the 6th of January the 12th night, as in tomorrow. Uh, you might be interested to know, you may not, but uh, the January the 6th tradition also includes countries like Germany, Poland, and the Czech Republic. So which is the correct day? Is it today or tomorrow? Well, the answer is both. Probably most people will observe Twelfth Night as today, uh, probably, but obviously others will observe it as being tomorrow. You can have a chat about it over coffee at the end as to what you're doing. But Epiphany, if you like, is, is the last hurrah of Christmas. It's actually tomorrow, as I said, it's January the 6th is Epiphany. So strictly speaking, we should all come back to church tomorrow, but that's a bit difficult, so we won't. We'll celebrate it today. So what is Epiphany? Well, it's the day we remember the visit of the wise men, or the Magi, as they are called in our reading, to worship the Christ child, to offer him the gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. It's a lovely scene, isn't it? It's, it's, it's one of those scenes that Christmas cards have. <clears throat> it's one of the scenes that, of course, the children do in their nativity plays and so on. But what is the significance of it? Why does the church celebrate it every year on the 6th of January? We're going to think about that a little bit this morning. So the story is straightforward, isn't it? You know it. You've heard it many times. Uh, but do you notice how Matthew, the gospel writer, uh, skirts over the entire Christmas story in one verse? Because in verse 1 he says... After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. In fact, he, he skirts over the entire Christmas story in half a verse. But Matthew does put in other things that Luke doesn't. So Matthew puts in, uh, in our chapter 1, uh, how Joseph uh, has the dream, has that revelation uh, that his wife to be Mary is to be the mother of Jesus so he puts that in into his gospel and then of course uh, the second half of chapter 2 is taken up with the passage that you looked at last Sunday which is the escape to Egypt uh, when Herod uh, was out to kill all of those who were under the age of two so he puts in he puts in narratives he puts in episodes that Luke doesn't put in it's interesting, isn't it? So Luke puts in all the things about the, you know, the stable and the white, the side the shepherds and the angels, all of that nativity uh, uh, narrative Luke puts in, but Matthew leaves it all out. It's curious, isn't it? So Matthew is much more interested at this point in the visit of these magi, these uh, wise men. We don't even know if they're just men, actually. They may have been men and women. Gentile, but they're Gentile visitors. That's that's important. They are not Jewish people. These are Gentile visitors. And there's a lot we can learn from them and their visit. So Matthew tells us <coughs> that these magi, these wise people, uh, come from somewhere east of Judea. And again, Matthew doesn't say where from. It may have been modern-day uh, Iraq or Iran. Uh, 
the Bible doesn't tell us exactly where they come from, but they make a long journey from where they live right over uh, across all of that uh, area, right across to Jerusalem to worship the one born king. And uh, when they arrive uh, in Judea, they uh, tell the local people they've come to worship this king. They've seen the star and they come to worship him. Herod, who is the reigning king of the Jews, hears about it. He asks his religious leaders, who is this Christ child that uh, has been born? They say, well, there's a prophecy in the Old Testament you need to know about uh, from Micah. And they tell him that this Christ child has been born in Bethlehem. And so Herod meets with the Magi, tells them to go to Bethlehem, and the star reappears to guide them to the Christ child. Once they get there, of course, we don't know exactly how long after the birth it is, it might have probably been a year or two, probably, uh, but they reach the house where the family is, the holy family are, and they present Jesus with the gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, and they worship him. And then Matthew says, they have a dream. And they've been told in a dream, do not go back to Herod. Do not go back to him because you must go back another, another way home. He has evil plans for the child. So it's a familiar story, isn't it? It's a well-known story. Uh, as I said, it's, it's pictured very often in those nativity scenes. And uh, giving the Christ child the gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And it's, been t- it's almost taken on a legendary status of its own. And the carol, the song we've just sung, We Three Kings of Orientar, of course, is based entirely on that story. But again, I come back to my question, what is so important about it that, that there is a day in the church calendar which is about this? And in fact, there's a whole season about it. Epiphany. Well, firstly, consider who has worshipped the Christ child up to this point, prior to their arrival. And this is where we have to go to Luke, because Matthew doesn't tell us. Luke tells us that on the night of Jesus' birth, the first to come to worship the child are shepherds. Shepherds who are in the fields nearby. Shepherds who are Jewish. And then Luke uh, tells us, excuse me, uh, at eight days old, Luke tells us that the child is circumcised. That's Jewish tradition. It fulfills uh, Jewish law. And again, that'll be surrounded by Jewish people. Again, Luke tells us at 40 days old, the baby Jesus is presented in the temple. And Jewish people, Simeon and Anna, recognize this is indeed the Messiah and they worship him. And that day, Simeon says, this child will be a light to reveal you to the nations and the glory of your people Israel, as Isaiah had said long before. And so this child isn't just for the Jews. This is a child for the whole world. This is a child for Jews and Gentiles. But these visitors are Gentiles. They are outsiders. They are outside, well outside of what would the Jews would have considered to be uh, those who are properly religious, if you like. Yet they didn't make this trip to study the movement of a star. They didn't make this trip to study the everyday life of the Jewish people. They came with one purpose, and that was to worship the Christ. 
the promised Messiah. And in so doing, they become the first Gentile or non-Jewish worshippers, which is why Epiphany is sometimes called the Gentile Christmas, because it's the first time that Gentiles worship the Lord Jesus. And the point is that they show immense faith and immense trust because they travel all the way from wherever they live, all the way across following the star to the place where Jesus was. They could have ignored the signs. They could have ignored the star. So, well, you know, that's interesting, but I'm not going to go there. But they didn't. They pressed on and they risked everything just to lay their gifts at the feet of Jesus. And so the question comes back on us, doesn't it? You know, what about you and what about me as we start a new year, let alone a new decade? And I guess the obvious question to ask is this. How committed to Jesus are we as we begin a new year? And the start of a new year is a, is a really good time just to take stock and re- sit back and reflect and think about, you know, and, and ask us yourself, ask myself, where am I in my relationship with Jesus Christ? And I'd really encourage you, if you can, in the, in the next few days, in the next week, just to do that, just to sit back, you know, have a cup of coffee or, you know, just, just take some time to yourself and just think back over the last year or maybe even the last few years and ask yourselves questions like these. How has your faith in God changed or developed? How ready are you to speak up for Jesus where you live or work? What are you prepared to risk for Jesus? Or you may want to ask yourself more probing questions. Do you expect Jesus to speak into your life? Or what qualities or characteristics is he refining in you right now? Who is he asking you to get alongside, to come alongside this year? What is he asking you, or might he be asking you to to lay down or surrender to him? Or even take up for him? You see, these these magi, we know it so well, but they can teach us so much. Even though they were considered to be outsiders by the religious people of the day, they risked everything that they had to worship Jesus and to bring him their gifts. And yet, while we remember these magi, we're not here to focus on them. Of course we're not. We're not here to focus on them. We're here to focus on the child that they worshipped. You see, the child Jesus doesn't just take his gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh and say, well, thank you very much and lives happily ever after. Far from it. As you saw last week, if you were here and uh, were listening to what was being talked about, the escape to Egypt, uh, he flees, Jesus is taken, uh, uh, and they flee to Egypt to escape the, uh, the killing of the baby boys under two years old. And then, of course, they come back and they settle in Nazareth, where Mary and Joseph will raise him. And then as an adult, he will be baptized in the River Jordan and spend the next three years of his life calling disciples, teaching people about the kingdom of God, and throughout his life, living a sinless, perfect life. And then he will allow himself to be arrested 
and beaten and mocked and spat on and to die on the cross. And why? So that the punishment that we should have had on ourselves is taken by him. So he becomes our sacrifice. He is the sacrifice for our sins, your sins, my sins, the sins of the whole world. Jews and Gentiles. And then on the third day he will rise again. And he has defeated the power of sin and death and hell forever. And he will ascend to the right hand of the Almighty. The point is this. Epiphany is revelation. That's what it means. Epiphany is about revelation. Epiphany means manifestation. It's, it's that, aha, I've got it. I understand it moment. The wise men got it. They, they had this revelation that Jesus is the Christ child. And they follow the star and they kneel at his feet and they pay him homage. They under, somehow they understood that this child is going to change the, the course of history forever. And so they come and they worship him. That is the right response of faith, is to worship him. That's obedient faith and trust. Sadly, of course, not everybody in the story gets it. Quite the opposite. Herod, when he hears the news, what he does is, oh, I, I don't like this, he thinks to himself. Uh, somebody's a, a contender for my throne, I need to do something about it. So he gathers the chief priests and the, the scribes and the Pharisees and, and, and asks them, what is this prophecy about? Clearly with an intention of eliminating any opposition to himself, getting rid of Jesus. Herod stands in opposition to faith and trust in Jesus. What about the leading religious people of the day, the, uh, the people who should have been saying, let's get to Bethlehem and let's worship him. What do they do? Well, do you notice, they know the prophecy. They point, they point Herod straight away to the prophecy of Micah. They know it. But do they rush to pay homage to Jesus? No, they don't. They know the prophecy, but that is as far as it goes. There's head knowledge, but their heart isn't open to change. They do not want to bow the knee to Jesus. And I guess, thinking about it these last few days, I guess the obvious parallel with our own day and our own context is the Christmas services we've just had over the last couple of weeks. It was lovely, wasn't it, to welcome lots of people in from the village and uh, other places <coughs> to come and hear the familiar stories of the birth of Jesus. And yet, sadly, when Christmas is over, they leave, they leave Jesus in the manger till next year. But of course, we hope and we pray that the people's hearts and minds have been moved and touched by the good news. But the reality is we live in a society where basically, by and large, people refuse to bow the knee to Jesus. So what about us? What is our reaction? Do we bow the knee to Jesus in every part of our lives? Of course, over Christmas time, we've celebrated his birth. <clears throat> but now we need to travel beyond the manger. We need to move beyond the manger. And for you and for me and anyone with the eyes of faith, all these centuries later, we can still be open to that revelation that the Magi had. That aha moment of understanding. 
We can know with confidence that Jesus is with us in all things, at all times. We can know with confidence that death has been defeated. And we can be sure because of his death and resurrection and ascension, we will also be in the presence of Almighty God for all eternity. That is why we've come here to worship the Christ child today. And just as the major I heard of the Christ from a revelation of God, you and I hear about it also from the word of God. Everybody's story is different. You may have heard it from your parents or Sunday school teachers or other teachers or pastors or ministers or others in your life who told you about Jesus and what he has done for you on the cross so that the Holy Spirit would work that miracle of faith in your heart and my heart and that we would desire to worship the Christ today. In a way, we are all walking the way of the Magi. That is what we're doing here this morning. We're here to do what the Magi did. We're here to worship Christ the Lord. And yet we don't see a, a little child. And yet through the eyes of faith, we, we know that our Savior is with us. We know that Jesus is present with us in word and sacrament. Just as he was, he was present with Mary and Joseph in, reading, in our reading from Matthew. And while we have gifts to offer, it might be financial gifts, it might be uh, offering of our service to Jesus in whatever context that is, God gives us so much more in return. He gives us life. He gives us forgiveness. He gives us salvation, which I think are better than gold and frankincense and myrrh any day of the week. And just as God has revealed the identity of the Christ child to those Magi long ago, even today he reveals the Christ to you and to me and to those who walk in faith and obey his word. If we are open to the Spirit, he will graciously lead us and guide us every day of the week. Every week of the month, every month of the year. So let's continue to be a people of faith and hope and trust. Not just this season, but every season of the year. And let's be the people who point the way to Jesus. And as a way of, of reaffirming our love and our trust and our faith in Jesus, I want to invite you to say some words of a prayer. It's called the Covenant Prayer. If you're a good Methodist, you'll recognize this prayer straight away. Uh, it's used in many churches uh, up and down uh, the country and other places around the world at this time of year as a way of reaffirming faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's a very powerful prayer. It's a statement of intent. It's a prayer of surrender. Remember, we looked this time last year at Naomi. Remember that? Naomi and Ruth and how they risked everything to follow what God had said to them. Are you willing to be a risk taker for God this year? So I'll say the prayer first and just look at it or listen to it as I read it through and then I'll invite you to join in with me and pray it and say it together. But this first time around, let me just say it and and just listen to it. I'm no longer mine, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. 
Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you, exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant now made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. So if you want to say that prayer, if you want to join in with me and make this your prayer at the start of this new year, let's say this prayer together. I am no longer mine, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doom. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you. Exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant now made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen.